Booster is excited to support DIA Schools Collaborative on furthering the missions of our respective organizations through Follow to Lead podcast and other DIA programming. Visit ChooseBooster.com for details on Booster's school fundraising events, technology, and customized spirit gear. Booster can help your Catholic school meet and exceed its fundraising goals. Learn more today. Welcome to Follow to Lead, where we discover how to listen for and follow God's call so that we might lead others to God. Our shared stories of inspiration from religious leaders and those active in the educational ministry of the church can help you know better how God is calling you and the role passionate Catholic education plays in spreading His message of faith, hope, and love. Now please welcome the hosts of Follow to Lead, Father Randy Sly and Kyle Pietrantonio. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Christ the Teacher, teach us to listen. Teach us to do the deep listening to the sounds of our soul, waiting to hear your voice calling out to cast out deeper, to become fishers of men and women, shepherds of souls, to follow your will in order to lead others to the truth, beauty, and goodness only you can offer. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Welcome to Follow to Lead, a journey twice a month into the world of Catholic education, exploring what it means to follow God in order to lead others to Him. I'm Father Randy Sly, your host. And today we'll be talking with Lynn Heyer, who is the Executive Director of the Fire Foundation in Kansas City, Missouri. Lynn is in her ninth year with the Fire Foundation, having recently celebrated their 25th anniversary of providing children with special needs the opportunity for an inclusive education in Catholic schools they attend. Since the beginning in 1996, FIRE has raised close to $6.2 million in support of this mission. In addition to its location in the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph, FIRE now has six affiliate partners in other parts of the country. Lynn graduated with a degree in journalism, mass communications from Kansas State University, she previously worked as a marketing manager for Donnelly College, a senior communication specialist for Blue Cross Blue Shield of Kansas City, and a marketing recruitment specialist for the Kansas City, Missouri School District. Lynn, welcome to the program. Hi, Father. So happy to be here. Well, we're just delighted that we could finally make it all work together. I know our schedules have kind of been crazy in the last couple of months, but I'm glad that we finally made it work. Me too. And one of the things we like to do at the beginning of our program is to have our guests share something about your, themselves. So could you just share a little bit about yourself, your upbringing and things like that? Sure. Yeah. Um, I was born in, and raised, lived in Omaha, Nebraska until I was 11, then moved to Kansas City because of my dad's work. So I've really spent the rest, I mean, the I've really lived in Kansas City ever since then. So I consider myself to be a native Kansas Cityan. Mm -hmm. um, my husband and I raised three sons, all adults now, and we are so blessed. I kind of have to pinch myself, but while they all left town for a number of years, they've all come home. Um, so we're really grateful and it's a lot of fun to have them here. We also are 
recent grandparents. We have a baby girl. Oh, congratulations. Ten years, or excuse me, not 10 years old. Oh my gosh. She's 10 months old. And so that is, as any grandparents know, the absolute delight of our lives. So, oh, yeah. and I, and I guess one more thing I would say is I feel like I have the best job in the world. I'm really um, blessed to be able to do this good work with so many amazing people working alongside. Uh, it, it really takes a village and we've got a really great one. Oh, that's super. I know that as we get into the uh, program today, a lot of people will agree with you in terms of what's going on with fire and the great people that you have working with you. And uh, congratulations on being a grandparent. One of the things I once heard about a grandparent is if I knew how good it was to be a grandparent, I'd have done it first. So (laughs) (laughs) those are some wise words. Yeah, there is. (laughs) So when you're not working for the Fire Foundation, what are some of your other interests? Well, love movies. Uh, My husband and I love travel. We just re- we recently returned from a really lovely, wonderful vacation in Croatia and Portugal. So wow. we try we try when it's possible to go abroad um, every two or three years. You know, the world is a big place, and there are so many beautiful destinations to explore. But we also love traveling closer to home. We have a little vintage camper. Um, a 1963 small camper. And so, um, you know, it's, it's a little bit more on the glamping side, you know, we've got a, got a mattress and a a little kitchenette. So, Uh um, so anyway, we love camping and then, you know, just family, friends, certainly dining out and a little bit of cooking. I like to cook when I have time. So that's me. Okay. Wonderful. And, uh, I'm, I'm sure that, with all of the intensity of some of the different times of year for fire that getting away like that's probably not a bad idea with everything else going on. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's very true. So, so yeah, we fire, we host three big fundraising events annually and we are right now in October in the thick of our largest event and uh, so it's pretty all consuming. So yeah, we have to, we have to step away and, you know, sort of get our bearings and and um, just sort of take some deep breaths. It's, I know, a very intense time. So thank you so much for taking time to kind of be with us and and to share what's going on in the in the area of the Fire Foundation. Now, I know that the beginning of the Fire Foundation involved a very personal personal involvement by some core families with special needs children. Could you tell us a little bit about the genesis of Fire? I would love to. So, um in 1996, <clears throat> six families came together. They met each other through a developmental preschool and learned that they all had in common, not only that they had children with significant disabilities, but they also had this dream that their, child, their, their children with disabilities would also attend their Catholic parish school with siblings. Mm-hmm. And as difficult as it is to realize this, that just wasn't an option in 1996. Catholic schools were not, um, but really... Inclusive education wasn't happening um, really very frequently or very broadly anywhere. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So they had this dream and it's, it, they were very much moved. If, if it went in conversation with our founders, it's very clear that the Holy spirit was so much at work in their hearts because some, you know, these are people who'd never done this before to start a foundation, to come up with this vision and build a nonprofit organization. And they, they knew that they wanted their children to be included and they really want not, not, it wasn't good enough for them to just cross the threshold and be in a building with their siblings. They wanted them to have a sense of belonging, to be valued as children made in God's image, to be contributors and to have the opportunity to form very authentic relationship with their peers. And um, so this had never been done before. You know, they were really, truly pioneers. So they knocked on some doors and made some phone calls, got some initial preliminary approval by then Bishop Boland here in the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph. Uh, got got a, the seal of approval from the superintendent and then identified two pilot schools. It's like, hey, everybody said, yeah, give it a try. I mean, what, what could, you know, it's not going to hurt anything. Let's, let's give this a try, but you're going to have to come up with the funding. Mm -hmm. So that's when, you know, sort of our mission was defined in that, you know, yes, we are advocates for inclusive Catholic education. We want to help people see this as an opportunity to truly live our faith and something that all of our children who are baptized in our faith should have the opportunity to learn and grow in a faith-based environment, regardless of their abilities. But we also realize that we need resources to do this and to Mm -hmm. create really meaningful learning experiences and opportunities for these kiddos. So we also are the folks who bring the resources to the schools. And we do that in the form of grants. Now, the uh, funding sources must have been really modest at the beginning of FIRE. Did they just go out to companies and individuals or how did it begin? So really, I mean, truly in a grassroots fashion, I'm talking about five and ten dollars at a time. And our founders were amazing in terms of, you know, just being relentless you know, while they're standing in the grocery store line or, you know, whether they had a big audience and and had the opportunity to address an entire parish congregation, they were disciples of this inclusion message. And they, they, you know, they just shared this opportunity at any opportunity. So the, uh, The first, and then yes, there were some really generous, wonderful people who step or organizations and individuals who stepped forward with some larger gifts and seed money. The first year that Fire made grants to support inclusive education was to make it possible for three young men to attend two of our diocesan schools. And I think, and and so the grant that year was somewhere in the 30,000 range, Uh and it was to fund one part-time shared special educator. Wow. Yeah. 
It was kind of amazing. And during that time, you know, nobody really knew what to expect, but, you know, it was a leap. It was truly a leap of faith. And, you know, the, the principals and the educators in those parishes, St. Peter and Visitation said, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll give this a try. And there were, you know, there was hesitation, but there was also Mm -hmm. an eagerness. And again, you know, the Holy Spirit kind of, you know, just really, really ignited this confidence and can do spirit. So that first year was, you know, kind of an experiment. People were saying, hey, how is this really going to work? But by year two, the teachers, you know, the, the, our first students were, were moving on into from kindergarten into first grade. And those first grade teachers were saying, Hey, me, I, I want those kiddos in my class. And as you can under, you know, as I'm sure is not a surprise, we had little ones who were going home and telling their parents about, oopsies, I've got a phone call coming in. The um, they were telling their parents about, hey, I got this new friend. And and anyway, it all I mean, it just grew exponentially. The the kids, you know, the kids were the ones who really fueled this acceptance and celebration of, you know, who we are. I mean, our the the body of Christ, we often say the body of Christ, you know, is not complete if all are not, you know, standing at the table. And and this was an opportunity to bring that to fruition. I remember back celebrating, I was actually celebrating the 25th anniversary mass out at St. Michael and to talk with some of the core families that are still around and still active. And they are just pinching themselves with what has happened in the, in the 25 years that fire has been around and the, the support, the, the growth and so for your additional resources now, you depend on some major events. So what are you what do you do every year now to garner the kind of support necessary to really support inclusive education? So Father, we host three major events. We have a big gala in the fall, usually that's scheduled in October called Fireball. And it has grown from um, this is kind of fun. The it initially this initially was called Bonfire, and it was a small little like sort of country western themed gathering. Um, and it's you know after which was amazing and really you know really experienced some big success in the early days. But then at some point about about nine or ten years ago, it was time to sort of you know make a shift. So now we call it fireball and um, and it's a, a great celebration of inclusion. And we aim to raise between six and seven hundred thousand dollars from this one event alone. Then we also host a golf tournament in the spring. Excuse me. And we do one other event in the uh, summer months. That's a, a girls night out and purse auction. So those are our events. And events are definitely our, our primary revenue stream. Mm-hmm. However, we um, we also do a, a very fair amount of grant writing. So we're soliciting, you know, prospective funders through through grants and grant proposals. And then, you know, we also have this just really wonderful, generous donor base. 
And so we have a lot of friends who have been part of, you know, they, they're, they're part of the fire family. They've been with us since the beginning. And so they, you know, make gifts, contributions, donations year round. Um, so our operating budget this year is $1.4 million. Mm-hmm. And of that amount, we are granting over $700,000 to 14 partner schools to support inclusive Catholic education. That's fantastic. You know what? I'm I'm excited to hear about the uh, the faithfulness of your donor base. I remember in taking some classes in the area of funding and development to realize that there's a difference between people who give for fundraising, like get something for giving, and those who give because maybe they know the development officer, and so they give because they know the people. But then your goal is to get people to the point where they give because they are owning the mission of the organization. Yes. Yes. So after 25 years, you know, initially I think our funders, this was like a leap of faith and kind of like, well, that sounds like a, that sounds like a good investment, but there, you know, there was some uncertainty, you know, about the sustainability of this mission and, you know, how's this really going to play out? Well, now we're into our second generation and we have donors ranging from their twenties. These are, these are young adults who are graduates and they firsthand experience the blessings of inclusive education Right. all the way to, you know, our donors who, you know, are, are advancing in age and they've been with us, you know, since since uh, the beginning too. So we've got this full range of folks who really believe in this mission, and many of them have experienced it either as students themselves, as parents of students themselves, as grandparents. And so those personal experiences and relationships, you know, they they really I think have touched hearts in a very special way. And people understand that, you know, this is about, you know, this is about living the the gospel's message on a daily basis. You Mm -hmm. know, we are welcoming other, we are reaching out to individuals who perhaps have been marginalized and we're bringing them in and we're creating this sense of belonging. And we realize now that it's not just for them. It is for us as well, because everyone inclusion creates meaningful experiences for everyone. I know that I experienced that when I was at St. Michael High School, the way that our smile zone, which stands for St. Michael Inclusive Learning Enhancement Zone, the students that were a part of the enhancement zone, they they just blessed the whole school, you know, and they're involved in classes together with their peer mentors. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it does, it changes the school and it changes uh, each person as they see uh, how human dignity can be really manifested in so many beautiful ways for other people. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's it's very exciting. Now, I know that you award uh, mostly funding to schools, to your partner schools, what does that process look like? So we currently make grants to 14 schools located in the Diocese of Kansas City, St. Joseph in Missouri. 
those, the, those partners, and, and we do just to clarify, we don't make grants to families or students. Right. Our partnership is with schools who have, and these schools, these partners have signed on to, um, you know, they, they are going to use best practices in inclusive education. They are going to educate students in a least restrictive environment so that students really are um, learning alongside their peers to the extent that it is, you know, a good thing. It's a, a productive learning experience. So, so, and then we also ask our partners to sign off on, you know, really just being partners on this journey and helping us with fundraising, sharing our message and building, expanding our circle of friends and supporters. So our partner schools go through, they complete a very, they go through a very formalized grant, um, grant application process. There begins with a, an actual application. We have a, a board grant, uh, grant committee who reviews those applications. On that application, we really get a good snapshot of you know, who are these students that are being served at this school and, and what are, what are their needs? What is it going to take to create a really optimal learning experience for these kiddos? And then we also look at what are the available resources and where's the gap? So Mm -hmm. how do we do our very best within our budget restrictions? We never have enough money, but to, to fill that gap or to, to, or excuse me, to close that gap, so we then, after the grants have been, the grant applications have been reviewed, the committee meets with representatives from the uh, partner schools and then makes the decision um, based upon all of that criteria that I mentioned. So it's a, it's a pretty formalized process and it is very much a partnership. It's not, you know, sometimes in the uh, grant seeking world, you just fill out an application and a check comes your way. And that is a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. But ours is more of a partnership. We're working together, not only to provide the resources, to, but to make sure that we are, um, we are a team in building these inclusive education opportunities. Now, our educators at the school, you know, they're mm-hmm. the ones on the front line doing the heavy lifting, we rely on them to employ best practices in education. Um, and this is why our partnership is so important in helping the parish community at large, if it's a K through eight school or the high school community at large, understand why this is a, a call, what we are called to do, why this mission matters mm-hmm. and you know why we need to do this. So yeah, I know you have a fire week in the schools where it becomes the theme for all that is happening at the school for that week. Exactly. Exactly. So we focus on a lot of education. Kids learn, they go through uh, disability simulation sizes where they learn, oh, what's it like if I had to get around in a wheelchair or if I am not, you know, not able to see letters and and read a page in the same way that typical kids can. Anyway, they go through some simulations so that that and that really builds some empathy and understanding. Mm-hmm. And it it really, I you know, that's I think really sort of the foundation of how this all works 
It's about, you know, respect and understanding and really, um, you know, embracing the fact that we're all made in God's image, but we're not all wired exactly the same way. Right. Exactly. Now I know that fire is spreading, no pun intended. Well, actually a pun was intended. Oh, sure. Let's uh, go. We love puns. <laughs> and you've got some affiliated partners in other parts of the country. Mm-hmm. Did they just discover what you were doing and wanted to replicate it? How did that come about? That's exactly what happened. So um, I've been, as you mentioned, with fire about nine years, not very long into my tenure as executive director, I mean, it became very clear to me because we field calls from really parents as well as educators from all over the country. And I knew there was a hunger for, you know, people would call and saying, how do you do what you do? And, um, and I will also share with you what I consider to be a pretty sad statistic, less than 5% of Catholic schools across the country are welcoming and supporting kiddos with very significant disabilities. And there are a number of reasons why, but part of it is it's just, we've never done it before. Anyway, Mm -hmm. because as, as our knowledge base grows, we, you know, folks are out there saying, Hey, this is good for everyone. And we can do this. Other folks are doing this. Let's get on, you know, let's get on the bus. So we get calls from folks and, that's exactly what happened with the sort of impetus of this affiliate initiative. So we were seeking to like create some kind of a pilot or some kind of a cookie cutter plan for folks to come on board as affiliates. And, but, you know, we, it was truly one of those things where it's like, okay, we just needed to dip our toes in the pond. And before we knew it, we were like hip deep. We had a a call from a group in Northeast Iowa and they wanted to become, you know, they wanted to replicate our model. We didn't know if we were ready, but we said yes with the caveats like, okay, you guys are kind of our guinea pigs here. We haven't done this before. So we're all going to be learning together. And Mm -hmm. that was seven years ago. And here we are, we have six more well, six more affiliates. So total of eight at the moment. Wow. We are, uh, or no, total of seven at the moment, but we are in the process and will in 2023 bring on two more affiliates. The uh, diocese, there will be a fire foundation of Milwaukee and a fire foundation serving the diocese of Phoenix. So wow. we're, we're kind of from coast to coast. We've got New Hampshire on the eat far East and we've got Denver and soon to be Phoenix. So these groups are parent driven. There's no one like, I mean, you know, as parents, we all want the best yep. for our kids. We've learned a lot of lessons along the way, but these are folks who are launching their own nonprofits, building their boards, initiating fundraising building relationships with their, uh, with their schools and diocese and making it all happen. So it's now, very exciting. That is very exciting. Now we have uh, the majority of our audience being administrators, teachers in Catholic schools. If their school is one of the, not 5%, but one of the other schools that's not yet doing it, but there's some kind of a burden on their hearts. Uh, can they just contact you and kind of get some ideas on how to begin things? 
So we, yes, we love, we love to have those conversations with folks who, you know, their hearts are willing, but they're just not quite sure how this can all happen and how it's possible. There's another opportunity that I want to share, and that is on a biennial basis, 2023 will be our next opportunity. We offer an inclusion in action in Catholic schools conference. So the dates, Father Randy, are February 16th and 17th, and this is a two-day conference, and we focus on all things inclusive learning, and we really dial in on some of the nuances related to, you know, okay, so we're a Catholic faith-based, you know, I mean, some of the practices are universal, Mm -hmm no matter where they're being employed. But we also talk a bit about why we as Catholic schools are especially called. And this can be really a very integral part of a Catholic school mission and distinguishes us as Catholic, you know, educators. So anyway, this, um, this conference happens in Kansas city, but it also happens virtually. So um, maybe I'll, I, I can just, share with the your audience go to firefoundation.org we are getting ready within the next couple of weeks to post information about registration presenters and all things conference related so so as i and, and this is really an opportunity for me to share we know that money and resources are an obstacle to implementing inclusive education but equally important is knowledge And so that's part of why we do this conference. We want to empower our Catholic educators with knowledge and help them grow in confidence that this is possible. We can do this. There are people out there to support you on the journey. I know that the, uh, the conferences in the past, and I'm sure that's a continuing aspect of it. It's not just sitting in a room and, having a lecture on how to do it, but you actually take them out into the field and let them see inclusive education in action. Yeah. And that's, that's exactly why we call it inclusion in action. Yes, we do that. So one, one component of the in-person conference attendance is to be able to, uh, go out and we hop on some tour buses and go out and visit schools where inclusion is, is happening. And, you know, we always use the the adage seeing is believing the kids really show you the way, like you walk into a classroom and it's, you know, that father, you, uh-huh. you witnessed it on countless occasions, but, you know, seeing is believing you see the kids and, and that kind of just makes all of those hesitations disappear. Now, the uh, the figure that you shared to me was quite alarming that we have less than 5% really involved in inclusive education in a fundamental and essential way. I want to, instead of focusing on the negative, let's look at why inclusive education is so exciting to bring to a school. Can you share some positive mission moments, some stories, some success stories? from some of your fire schools? Yeah. I, I Oh, yeah. H- how much time do we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, um, okay. There's one just that popped right into my mind. So there's a young man who's been part of it. And he, he has a couple of diagnoses that 
you know, he, he definitely um, thinks, behaves and learns a little differently than some of his peers. But he's been tremendously successful. He started in preschool and he's now a senior. This young man, he, um, he had in the, in high school at your, at, at St. Michael, the Archangel father, he was the football manager for his freshman, sophomore and junior years. Never played football before, but he wanted to be a part of that, you know, that just the team kind of experience. So he was the manager. So this summer he said to the coach, you know what, this year, I, I think I want to play football. I'm going to be <laughs> on the team. And because the coach is like full in on this inclusive thing. And this young man, I mean, is he going to be the most skilled football player? No, but he has the spirit and the desire. And the coach said, yeah, I, we want you, we want you. And so this young man is now not just the guy with the water on the sidelines, He's actually suiting up and playing football and, um, and that, that team, by the way, has a really awesome winning record. So I guess in more ways than one. So that, that's a wonderful story. Um, I'll also say this here. I got one more little story and of course I could go on. So I'm thinking of another family. They have, a couple of kids, but one of the, their, one of their children has cerebral palsy and they came from, they were living in a public, he was attending a public school, all the bells and whistles, so well-resourced. I mean, a really highly respected program, but there was just something missing. There wasn't that warmth. There wasn't that, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't even know if we can really define what it was. There was a missing ingredient. So they have friend. the family has friends who are very much a part of one of our, our partner school community communities. And this happens to be a little, a small school, less than 200 students. You know, it's just an ordinary school building. There's nothing special about the building itself, but I can tell you they walked in, crossed the threshold, and there's this like palpable, like, yes, you matter. We care about you. We want you here. This nurturing sense. They don't even have, I mean, they don't have all of the resources that a public school has, but what they have is like this really faith-driven, community-focused culture that said, yes, you matter we want you here. Anyway, that was like four years ago. And this young man is now an eighth grader and he will graduate from this small, humble Catholic school. And he will go on to one of our Catholic high schools because we as Catholic schools, I think this is a perfect testament to like, we are so uniquely positioned to do this good work mm-hmm. because I mean, yes, you need resources, you need knowledge, without a doubt, but you have to have heart and you have to have soul because sometimes days are hard. And we, this is part of who we are. This is our identity as Catholic Mm -hmm. educators. We can do this work. We can create this really positive learning experience where there is truly a sense of belonging. 
So anyway, those are two two stories. That's really, those are encouraging things to hear that it's it's about these individual lives being transformed, being changed by just being involved in this positive environment of inclusive education. What do you think are is the most or what are the most understood issues regarding special needs students that may prohibit schools from feeling like they can really do it? Well, I think that I I am not an educator by training, so true Mm -hmm. confession, but I spend a lot of time with educators and I've been in this world for for a while. When I talk to uh, folks who are like sort of on the cusp of of diving in, there is sort of there is a concern on the part of educators like, what if we don't do everything right? What Mm -hmm. if we don't get it right on day one or we make a mistake? And, um, and I, I understand that. And I, I admire that commitment to excellence, but I also say, say, and I I hear this repeated by many people who are wiser than I am, you know, it's like, you don't have, there's perfection is not a requirement. We Mm -hmm. don't, we don't do things perfectly for our typically developing kids. We all make mistakes as long as our heart is in the right place and we're ready to try again tomorrow, we know that, you know, things aren't always going to go as planned. We also know that sometimes days are hard. We're talking about inclusion as, you know, a best practice and it is, but it's, it's, I mean, there are hard days. There are difficult situations. There are behaviors that surface that need to be addressed. I mean, there's, there's, you know, a lot to this, but I think you, when you talk to the educators who are part of our fire family, they will tell you it's all worth it. It, mm-hmm. it is so worth it because it's not just for the kids who have disabilities. It's for the entire learning community. And I know that you saw this at St. Michael, the Archangel, and this happens in all of our partner schools hearts are changed. We have young people who go on, they've, they've served as peer mentors, or they have a special, you know, a friend who, you know, has a disability, a significant disability and they go on and they're inspired to become occupational therapists or, you know, special educators or maybe engineers, but they want to do it in an inclusive way. So it changes, it, it really changes perspective. I know that some of the peer mentors from our school have continued after graduation to still have a relationship with the students that they were a mentor. And it's been fun to hear they'll come back and visit during Christmas or something like that and be with the kids and hang out in their classrooms again or have them over during Christmas break for a little party or a time of giving them a present. It's just wonderful to see that you really are establishing a lifelong pattern of relationship in so many ways with what's going on uh, with the other student. And and that's very exciting. Yeah. These Uh, are very genuine relationships. Yeah. It's not, it's not manufactured or doing because I have to do this. Right. Right. Now, there's a question that's been kind of orbiting in my mind recently, and that is that our culture right now seems to be promoting some behaviors and values that it seems to me can easily influence students with special needs. There's just a lot of cultural pressure in terms of 
how you're going to express your life uh, uh-huh. in terms of your gender role, how you're going to express different values and things like that. And I'm right. just wondering, I, I know that sometimes some special needs students can be much more influenced by the people right. around them, and they can yeah. hear these things and all of a sudden get it into their minds. Do you see inclusive education as helping these students to properly re- respond to pressures that they might receive? In- yes, I think so, because it's part, I mean, they're they're part of a Catholic community of learners where, you know, they're, they're I mean, they're learning, um, they're having experiences on a daily basis that are very connected to the values espoused by their, you know, Catholic school. Uh-huh. And there is, so, so I, I guess I would say, you know, we don't, I, I feel like Catholic schools and I, I don't want to say it's a safe, pl- well, it is a safe, I mean, certainly a safe place, but it's also a place where, um, where students can come and, you know, they, they understand what it means to, um, to live our Catholic faith, not just today and tomorrow, but through, you know, through life. And so I, I just think that, you know, through peer relationships, through what they Mm -hmm. hear from, you know, the, you know, their educators and also the families that they are surrounded by. Mm-hmm. This is a powerful formation experience for, for kiddos. I'm it's not one, sure if yeah. I addressed your, your Yeah, question. no, I think it's, it is just that they're in an environment where it is safe to ask questions and to get uh, res- proper responses, but yeah. to be involved in a, you know, this is kind of a, maybe a highfalutin term, maybe a, a, a wonderful human anthropology. You know, there's a, a way that we look at at our personhood from a Catholic perspective that just helps an individual to be formed, and and spiritually as well. I I love the fact that back in my St. Michael days we had, and I know they still do have. Uh, we have some of our Smile Zone kids serving as altar servers and sacristans. Mm-hmm. They're singing in the choir. They're doing all these wonderful things to help build their faith yeah. in Jesus Christ as well. Yes. Okay, I've got one final question for you. All right. And if you were in a room filled with administrators, both K through eight and high schools from Catholic schools around the country, and you could say one thing to them, what would you like to communicate? I would say inclusive education is an opportunity that you cannot afford to to pass by. Because, first of all, it gives your students the opportunity on a daily, hourly, even minute-by-minute basis to live our faith. So, uh, you, I mean, it's, it's really being inclusive is really, I believe, you know, at the essence of Christ's message. I would also say, you know what, in an age when in some Catholic schools, in some communities, we're struggling to you know, with, with, uh, you know, enrollment, declining enrollments, this is a great opportunity to bring in families and you get not just the kiddo who may have a disability, you get the siblings too. So it's actually a recruitment tool. And Mm -hmm. we quite honestly, 
In, in our diocese, we've had examples of people moving from faraway places to Kansas City specifically because of the opportunities for inclusive education. They wanted their kids together in Catholic schools. And uh, we've got somebody moving from Austin. We've got, we've had people move from Tulsa. It's a thing. It, yeah. it, it truly is, um, you know, and I mean, truly, okay. I know it's not just one thing I've been going on and on and I could, but you know, it's like inclusive education is going to change the heart of your school. It is the most effective anti-bullying program that yep. has ever been invented. There's a kindness and a, a depth of understanding that transcends anything you could do artificially, like the, or any kind of special curriculum you could buy. This is like the real stuff that creates kind hearts. Oh, that's, that's really encouraging to hear. And, you know, to see that actually happen in our schools, what a wonderful vision that can be for the future. Well, Lynn Heyer, thank you so much for being with us today here on Follow to Lead. This has been a really rich discussion and one that needs to take place in a lot of different areas of our country where uh, inclusive education is really needed and, and I know it's wanted. So again, Lynn, if our audience wants to know more about the work of the Fire Foundation and how it might be replicated, where can they go again? Firefoundation.org. We are in the process of reworking our revamping our website, but yes, and there, there are opportunities. You can also email info at firefoundation.org and we will circle back with you and also think about attending that conference on February 16th, 17th. And they can do it virtually, correct? They can. Can I say okay. one more thing? Sure. Okay. I also, you know, I want to, I just want to add a PS to my last comment and that is most school, like most folks are already doing inclusion at some level. What we, you know, there, those students are, there are students in your schools right now that you're making, you know, you're modifying some things, making some accommodations. This is just like the next step in the journey to welcome kids with more significant disabilities. You're doing it now. You can do this. You can do this. There's plenty of support out there. I don't know if there's any better way to end our program than that. That is such a great, a great soundbite. Thanks, Lynn, so much for being with us. And I just appreciate so much all that you do and all that FIRE does for the schools. Thanks for this opportunity. It's been a blast. And um, thank you for thank you for having me. And uh, to our audience, if you haven't already, I invite you to subscribe to our podcast and be sure to leave a comment to encourage us toward future programs. And we also want to thank our production assistant, Alex Shire, for his work on this podcast. To learn more about the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative, I invite you to visit our website at diaschools.org. May Almighty God bless you. We'd like to thank you for joining us on this episode of Follow to Lead, a production of the Duke and Altum Schools Collaborative. To learn more about finding your own path in your journey of faith, or for more information on what we discussed in today's episode, you are invited to follow us on social media and visit us on the web at diaschools.org. To provide a one-time donation or monthly pledge, please visit our website. Your gift will aid us in providing up-to-date information, additional resources, and other support on how to take Catholic education to a higher level. We look forward to helping you follow God's call to lead others to God right here on Follow to Lead.